Uh, welcome from me. Lovely to see you. And um, yeah, I just I sometimes feel this when, when we kind of get to this moment. Don't lose what's already happened. And I feel just to say that again tonight. If you already sense that something has lifted, I had that sense of fog lifting, clouds lifting, whatever. Uh, just just kind of capture that. Be grateful for that. Dwell in that. If God has already spoken to you, is speaking to you through the line of a song or, or something that you just felt him say or through sharing of communion. Please don't lose that or move that on. That could be the most significant thing that's already um, happened, uh, despite whatever I'm, I may, may say uh, now. I used to work in market research, so I'm always interested in asking questions, and it just occurs to me as the Rugby World Cup gets going, always, this is completely apropos of absolutely nothing at all, but I'm always just interested in uh, who we are. So your choice is rugby, football, or neither, okay? You've got to choose one. I know we don't like the whole hands up thing, but hey, tough. So, ready? Rugby, football, so rugby, hands up. Can't see, I can't actually even see upstairs. Okay, football? All right, Neither. I'm going to say rugby has it, actually. Yeah, rugby has it. So for all of you who are excited about the next six weeks and you're going to be doing nothing but glued to your telly, good luck, good luck, England. Maybe some of the other nations as well, but especially England. If you're not, uh, you're a non-rugby person, I recommend kind of, I don't know, get a good book or something and say goodbye to your rugby playing friends for the next six weeks, but it's going to be great. And we are going to win. Uh, word associ- a little bit of word association on that theme. Word association football, if you're brave enough because you know the person sitting next to you, you might want to turn to them, otherwise just in your head. I say this word and you think what? Uh, I say um, Krispy Kreme donuts. They all taste me here, whatever. I say um, Manutuilagi. <laughs> what? <laughs> You've no idea. Uh, I say uh, climate change. Yeah. You're getting the idea. I say church. Okay, that was a little bit like David's question. Notices or Tim speaking? Not quite sure about that one. Um, first thoughts are always interesting, aren't they? What comes into our head? Of course, if you had a second, some of you are already beginning to have second thoughts about that and what you might have said if you'd thought about it a bit more carefully. But quite interesting just what pops up um, as, we, as we think about church, which is a little bit where we're at tonight, not just about church, but in this uh, series that we're invited to uh, participate in at the beginning of, a, of a, the academic year, the school year, we're getting going, we're underlining some of these big, big vision themes that God has given to us, arguably to every church, but to us in particular ways. Um, and we're underlining that theme around the way that we interact with one another, all in with each other. And all kinds of things pop into our heads uh, when we think about church, probably, and we are of course, uh, well-educated enough to that's, that that's not so much about a place and it's not so much about a day of the week uh, and those sorts of things. Jesus never said, go to church. I have this little argument with God that when I get to heaven, I will, be, I will say, why did you allow uh, for this word church to be a- attached to a building? Because uh, single-handedly, it's kind of denied the Christian church a lot of its oomph over the years as we go to church and then you go away from church and forget all about it. No, we know that this church is about an identity, right? It's about a who much more than it's about a, a what or a, or a where or, um, or a how. So our focus tonight really is, is on this. Uh, God is always keen for us to be healthy because uh, he loves us so, so much. We've been celebrating that again tonight in the ways that we have. God loves us to be healthy. He wants you to be as healthy as you can possibly be, healthy in all sorts of ways, but healthy in relationship and healthy in this particular 
relationship. This relationship with this thing that we call his people, his body, the church, all those metaphors for it in the New Testament. It's a body made of different parts. It's a building made of different stones. It's a flock of sheep. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the people of God. We're the bride of Christ. And on and on. It's a family. These are collectives, aren't they? They're, they're together words. They're us together. And it really, really matters. So God's focus for us tonight is to help us engage with, so how healthy is that relationship? How healthy is your individual relationship with that thing called the church? This may be the first time that you've ever darkened the door of a building like this, and you're so, so welcome. We're all on some sort of journey, and we're at different places along it. Many of us in the room will have had more familiarity with that over the years, but God is still saying, how is your health? Is there something that, you, an attitude, a belief, a, a way of being that just needs some adjusting, some bringing into alignment with our best understanding of what God has got for us as the people of God? What does that look like? Is there something to do more of, something to do less of, something to ditch, something to take on, whatever? That's what he's address, helping us to address The world, you've heard me say this, I like this quote, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. I'm not necessarily arguing that the world is at its worst. Probably in every generation they've thought the world is at its worst, but there's some pretty grim stuff around that. We know that. So the church needs to be at its best. Who would not want the church to be at its best? Why? Because the church is the hope of the world. Jesus is head of the church. We're his body. The church is the hope for the world. So the world at its worst needs us at our best. So what's your role in that is another way of saying how healthy is your relationship to this thing we call church, to the the all-in with each other. So when Jesus was thinking about uh, how to uh, extend, if you like, his, his movement once he had returned to the Father's side, his own sort of dream beyond his own physical life on earth. He did, he did one thing, essentially. He didn't found a new nation. He didn't form a government. He didn't devise some sort of clever think tank. He didn't organize a protest movement. He didn't assemble an army. He didn't create a university or a corporation. He didn't leave behind any financial resources whatsoever. No infrastructure, no budget, no buildings, no contacts that would associate with being necessary for growing some sort of organization. What did he do? He started a small group. That's what he did. Just started a small group. He left a small group of very ordinary people. Here's Mark 3. Jesus went up into the hills. He invited those that he wanted to be with him, and they came to him. See, his plan, put simply, to change the whole world, to keep changing the whole world forever on into eternity was people together. Bunch of people together in community, doing life together, called church. And the plan was that they'd be with him first and foremost. That's the the most important bit. The call first and foremost is always to Jesus himself. We spoke a bit about that a couple of weeks ago and we always do and we'll never let go of it. And then to be with each other. And so later, after Calvary that we've celebrated, after Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes, the original group gets sent out, don't they? Now they're they're accompanied by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit within them and with them, and the same plan gets replicated. And here's the little passage that we've been set. It's the same for these three Sundays that we're in, uh, and we're just just going to read you and remind you about what this little group got up to. Acts 2.42, it's on the screens. They devoted themselves, this group 
to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give to anybody who had in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Totally familiar to anybody who's been around their Bibles and especially around churches like this for a long time. Just the most compelling vision, isn't it? You kind of go, yes, I'm sure it wasn't perfect, but yes, this describes so much, so much health, so much richness, so much about God's plan being worked out for this little group. And then onwards through the Acts in the early church, we see little communities of ordinary people, very ordinary people, just forming, usually meeting in homes, as well as gathering in bigger numbers like this, whose weakness gets turned to strength under the hand of an extraordinary God doing life together with a testimony to the reality of Jesus among them, empowered by the the Holy Spirit. And what happens? The Lord adds to their number. The Lord adds. They don't add. The Lord adds to their number. And many lives get changed. And towns and cities get really transformed, not in just a kind of cliche way. A few little things happen. No, really changed from the inside out. The world gets turned upside down. The kingdom comes. Why? Because the church is God's agency for the kingdom. God the king gathers a people and says, you're the people now to bring my kingdom, the king's domain, the rule and the reign of God, where God's health is played out in every sphere of life. It is the most compelling image. Can you think of a better vision for life on earth as it should be than the kingdom of God? And we're the agents of it. With those who are engaged to bring the kingdom. The plan hasn't changed. Of course, they weren't perfect any more than we are, but it is utterly compelling, this family of God living boldly for the king, advancing his kingdom, doing what? Stuff together, frankly, almost anything. Together, learning together, living together, sharing together, praying together, arguing, working, eating, praying, crying, failing, dismally at times, but getting up together, carrying on together, blessing, reaching out to others, growing an unstoppable force. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if that's how you would describe yourself tonight, this won't come as news to you, but it's good to put a double underline. There is no opt-in to the church. You're in. As God adopts us, to use biblical language, into his family, as we give our yes to Jesus, God becomes our father, we're part of the family, we're adopted in, then church is not an option. There is no opt-in or opt-out. That's it. It's an identity thing. So just important to note, isn't it, then, even in the way that we think about this and then obviously the way that we, we speak and live it out, the church is not that thing over there. It can never be that thing over there. Even if at times it might feel like that, but it's not, is it? It's not a, an it or a they or a them or a you even. It's an us, and a we, and an I. Because it's an identity thing. And sure, there'll be some of you sitting here tonight, you're not really sure if you're part of of Trinity or not, maybe you come here on a Sunday evening, 
And let me tell you, if, you chose, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you're part of his church, you're part of his family, you're a we, you're an us, you're an I. And if this is the particular local expression, the local group to which you most feel affiliated, then this is your local small c church. If you come from other churches, that is your place of expression. And therefore, it's the place we're called to connection with others. So you cannot read, if you've been around your Bible for any length of time, you cannot read the New Testament scriptures of God and conclude that it's even possible to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus and not be part of his church. It just can't happen. It makes no sense. You cannot read the New Testament and conclude that it's possible to grow as a follower of Jesus without recognizing that we're part of something together called church. We're in it together. You can't read the New Testament and conclude that it's even possible for God's kingdom, his plan, his purposes, his activity on earth to be advanced without the agency of his people called the family. Of which baptism, by the way, is a sign of belonging. In brackets, just to flag up uh, that we'll be baptizing some people later on in, in the term and the New Testament wouldn't recognize fully as those who belong to the family without actually that precious mark of baptism. So that's really important. And what, what was their characteristic hallmark or what was the thing that was most to identify this group? Well, of course, there's loads of things, but it's basically the same hallmark as their first leader. Of course it is. And just before he died, which is the moment you say your most important stuff, I'd argue, Jesus got the, the, the group together, didn't he? And he said this, John 13, a new command I give to you. It's quite striking that he said that, actually, because I'll, I'll just pause there. A new command I give to you, because in Jewish thinking, only God can give commands. So he is equating himself against one of those many errors in the scriptures where actually he is equating himself with Father God. A new command I give to you, love one another. Well, that's not new. They've heard that one before. That's not a new one. That's straight from their, own, their old scriptures. One of the oldest commands in the book, love one another. But here's the new bit. As I have loved you. As I have loved you. That's it. That's the, that's the characteristic. That's the main hallmark. A bunch of other things that flow from that. That's the hallmark, though, of this group that I'm gathering. Love. As I've loved you. We just celebrated communion. How did Jesus love us? Lovely little story, actually, about this. I might have told this before. I can't remember. There's a brother and a sister. The sister uh, needs um, a blood transfusion. Uh, she had the same disease, it's a true story, as her, her brother had had, but he'd recovered from it. And the doctor explained that her only chance was to have a transfusion of some blood from somebody who had conquered the, the, the disease just as he had. So would he be prepared to give his blood to his sister? And Jake, I think that was his name, hesitating a little bit, said, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll do that. He smiled, sure, because she's my sister. And he was wheeled into the hospital room. And Jake grins at his sister, and his smile fades a little bit as the, as the needle goes into his arm, and he begins to you know, see the blood uh, kind of going up the tubes into his arm. And just uh, when it was nearly over, um, he, he just turns to the, the doctor and says, Doctor, when do I die? Because he had assumed in that he had assumed that that's what the doctor meant. I'm going to give my blood to my sister, so I'm going to die. But he was prepared to go through for it, through with it. Why? Because he loved his sister. Beautiful. 
The love that Jesus is talking about then, love each other. It's not as if I'm telling you something we've not heard before, but it's, it comes with force, doesn't it? As I have loved you, it's grounded in some attitudes and some actions. So you must love one another. By this, going on in John, will everyone know that you're my followers if you love one another? See, I want you to be the most loving group in the world, and I'll be with you. And because you know my love, you'll want to do life my way, and that is how Cheltenham will get transformed. That is how Gloucester will get transformed. That is how this region and this nation and the entire world will get transformed. As you receive my love, as you know my love, as that flows out of you, as you love one another and people notice and say, wow, there's something about the way that they love. That's plan A for the transformation of the whole world. And there is no plan B and the plan has never changed. I want you to be the most loving group on the planet. Will you do it in my name? Don't have to be the, most smart, the smartest or the best educated. In fact, that can trip us up often, certainly if we go after it. Or the richest or have the best answers or the best programs. No, just be the, be the most loving. How healthy are we then? How healthy? How are we doing at that? Challenging, of course. It's always challenging. But compelling. So under the umbrella of, of, of this, what, what, what's that going to mean for, um, for us for now? A whole bunch of things. So there's... there's Five years of sermons in this, but I uh, just felt drawn to one or, one or two things. Because, of course, the love is broken down for us beautifully uh, in different, more practical ways. Um, not least, all in with each other, the each other bit, the, the, the one another bit. I'm sure some of us will have done this already. You can do it so easily now with the, the help that is online. Just go and Google one another in the New Testament and see what crops up, crops up and it's phenomenal, it's challenging, but it's beautiful. As each of these one another's adds a new strand under loving one another. So we say, how, what do you mean love each other? What, love, how, how, does that, you know, how does it work out? Well, God helps, it's really, really practical stuff. Really practical, love it. Accessible. Look at the one another's, there's about 15, 16, 17, depending on how you count, many of them. I want to pick this word fellowship to begin with. I'm not quite sure how many I'll get through, but fellowship with one another. Have fellowship with one another. It's a funny word, this, isn't it? Fellowship. Strange old word. But we, we need some of the strange old words because they carry a lot of oomph. This uh, verse in Hebrews is one of my favorites around the whole togetherness thing. He said, let's consider, there's an exhortation. Let's consider, think about it, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, says the writer. There's some who don't do it anymore, and they're suffering for it. But, you lot, encouraging one another. See, fellowship is this incredibly rich word, and at, at, its, at its heart, it's about uh, togetherness. It's about authentic togetherness. Proximity, intimacy, not distance. Things like honesty, things like growing in vulnerability, growing trust, being committed at its most basic to meeting together. That's what it says in the verse, meet just getting in the same space together as we are doing tonight. Why? Two reasons. The first one might sound rather defensive, but this is crucial. We are incredibly vulnerable if we don't. I don't want to introduce that as a negative, it's a positive in God's way. We are extraordinarily vulnerable if we don't do the together thing, if we neglect, in the words of Hebrews, meeting together, being together in different sorts of ways. 
Because we can forget so easily, I can, that there is a battle on. Just because we don't always see it doesn't mean that it's not on. The kingdom of, of God always advances through confrontation. It's never easy. It's never an open pathway to God's kingdom advancing. There is always a confrontation. By the way, the battle has been won. The war is won at Calvary. The battle continues to be won in prayer. Every advance of the kingdom is birthed in prayer. But there's always confrontation. Spiritual battle going on. Happens in the spiritual before we then see it in the physical, always. But because the battle is on, we've been given all the, all the weapons, by the way, to fight that battle. We can so easily be duped into thinking that there isn't a battle on. And the, one of the enemy's strategies, by the way, is to undermine the sense of battle. And it's to undermine the sense that there's something to contend for. And there's something to advance and it's worthwhile. And one of his most effective strategies is isolation. Because we're designed to be together, to pray together, to work together, to, to have strength for each other. And when we're disconnected, we're so much weaker. Think of it in the physical world. It's not hard to see it, is it? I've picked one of my favorite images, Hudson Thanks, of the, of the lion there. The enemy is described as a lion, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. It's not rocket science. When we're together, there's a certain strength. Why? Because by myself, I'm not strong. I need you. When I'm having a bad day or a bad season, when I'm low in hope, people, some people in the group tonight, we're low in hope. What are you supposed to do? Find some somewhere? You're not capable of that. But somebody sitting next to you might minister God's hope to you. That's why we get together. We get weak, I'm weak, I'm discouraged, I'm, I've been sick for a while, I'm, uh, I'm numb emotionally or whatever it is. Life is hard enough. Not easy to keep trusting God just on my own, to keep hopeful, to stay afloat, to say, stay above ground, to... Hold on to faith when it's under attack. We need each other. We need each other. We really, really need each other. Why? Because God says that's his plan. And what happens when that goes wrong? It's pretty obvious. We get picked off. We're terribly, terribly vulnerable if we don't do the together thing well. Come back to it in a minute. The second reason for the fellowship, for fellowship is because it's all about relationship. And it's only by spending time with you that I get to know you and you get to know me. And therefore, we begin to grow a bit of trust together. And I begin to be able to share some of my stuff with you, the stuff that's in here that I wouldn't if I don't yet know you. That's not an immediate thing. That's okay. That's how it works in family and with, in friendships, isn't it? But we need to get to that place. And in order to get to that place, we've got to hang out together for a bit and grow trust. And the vulnerability grows. And we know that in, in, in our closest relationships. Superficial stuff is all very well, but it doesn't really go, go that deep, does it? And that place of depth is where what begins to happen. Healing begins to happen. And, and change can begin to happen. And challenge can begin to happen gently. I'm not going to challenge you if I don't know you, but if I trust you and you know that I love you because we've done the relationship thing for a while, then you'll accept on the basis that I love you that I might want to hold you accountable for something or notice something that I, I think might be a bit... I don't know, it's not going too well in your life or I encourage you back towards God or whatever. It's all, it's all scooped up in fellowship. Sure, in a church of, of our size, I'm not suggesting for a minute that we all do that together, that we can't, we can't be devoted to everybody in, in the room, however many hundreds we are in, in, in the room. But we can be devoted to some. Remember, what did, what did Jesus start? Small group, it's quite deliberate. Twelve. We can do that. 
Joe's a motley bunch, by the way. Of course, our issues sometimes are, well, I'm not sure I like those people. Well, yeah, we've got to get over that, haven't we? Jesus, Jesus didn't, didn't work over, overboard to draw together the perfect group. He chose Peter, who's impetuous. Thomas is a doubter. Judas is greedy. James and John were ladder climbers. So the Simon the Zealot, which means, which means he hates tax collectors. What's Matthew? Tax collector. He didn't work too hard. He just got a group of people together, a motley bunch of people, frankly like us, no disrespect. And community is not easy. Henri Nouan says it. Community, this kind of fellowship, it's the place where the person that really I least want to be, that I least want to be there, is always there. And it's messy and it's full of challenging people, and you're one of them. Some of us know that Bible verse which goes, iron sharpens iron. We go, yeah, great, fellowship, fantastic. Iron sharpens iron like an axe, you know, sharpens an axe. Well, it can only have a chance to sharpen it if it's touching, right? Iron doesn't sharpen iron like this. <laughs> and it sharpens. And, that, and in, the, in this bit, there's a bit of pain involved. There's a bit of messiness, blood sometimes. But it's how we get more healthy, so a little stuff around fellowship, how are we doing with that? How does that work out in your life? Um, I'll, I'll leave, I, most of you know, David's announced some different ways that we get together in the life of this church, if you don't know. A whole bunch of ways. Uh, life groups, obviously, and Alpha is a great place to begin to journey with some other people, element that's starting, very similar. Uh, serving on a team, whole, whole way, or if it's, even if it's not a formal thing, are you getting together with some others and doing more than just going to, to the cinema, as good as that is? More than just sharing pizza are you beginning to share life and and to some extent trust and to to a deeper extent vulnerability and heart and how are you doing and can I pray for you and I notice this about you and can we do this together and should we open the bible and let's pray about that and let's go on the journey together it's the only thing that changes the world been one of the greatest joys and delights of of my life, I would say, as a follower of Jesus, to do this with some other people. The joy and privilege of being with a bunch of guys for the last three or four years. One of them, we've been a bit sporadic in the the last summer season and it's not been uh, entirely kind of united and and so on. Because it's it's a struggle, because it's why it's so important. But one of the guys was just saying the other time we met two nights ago, saying, my life has changed completely because we've, because we've met together regularly for the last three years. My life has completely changed. I was on the edge of giving up. It's in a different church, came to this church, got involved in the group. And uh, his life has transformed. And by the way, through that, through that life, a whole bunch of others too, because the way that he ministers and sets up Christian unions and businesses and all of that, it's, it's extraordinary. Fellowship. <clears throat> Doing stuff together. The individual thing, just let me say something about that. The, 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 will, the young wildebeest that gets isolated, of course what I'm saying makes sense. You're going, yeah, 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 the lion attacks the wildebeest that's isolated, but that's not me. Friends, we, our culture will always carry the risk of, of, of uh, leaking its values into us or us taking on board its values. One of the great values of our culture at the moment is independence. We prize independence in this culture. The self-made person is the one who is uh, esteemed and so on. And independence, and, and it's even reflected in a, a lot of our institutions, I would argue our education system to some extent. In, what's in, some of you students, you have independent learning agreements, right? Or equivalent. So easy for that to become part of the way that we 
think that, we're going to grow with God. Do you know what? I'll just devise my independent discipleship program, and I'll do a little bit of a podcast here and a little bit of a, some worship. I always have worship music on. Of course I do. And, and, I'll, and I'll grab that thing there, and I'll maybe read that book, and I'll dip into that thing called Church Occasion, or maybe another one, depending on who's speaking and if I find them a bit more attractive uh, or whatever. And before we know it, what have we done? We're living this independent discipleship thing where we're piecing it all together. I say this with no judgment whatsoever, only compassion, but a, but a sense of warning from the scriptures. Remember the lion and the wildebeest. That's presenting us in a place of real vulnerability. I've had one or two conversations over, over the years. I had one particular, had an on-running battle. It's one of my sadnesses, actually, as a pastor here uh, with, with somebody. And, and I never, I don't know, just didn't get through. And uh, he's, he's long gone now. But that was his story. Uh, frankly, it doesn't surprise me that he's long gone because the relationship thing just isn't, wasn't strong enough. Serve one another will be one of the other uh, one another's. Jesus, it's number two. Jesus uh, showed them the full extent of his love under the umbrella of love. John 13. He says, I'm going to show you the full extent. And we're thinking, wow, what's, what is John going to tell us? Jesus, apart from Calvary, is going to show the full extent of his love in this moment. What's he going to do? He's going to do something amazing for the, for the group. Remember what he does? Grabs a tea towel. Gets on his knees and wipes the camel poo off their feet. The full extent of his love. Always looks like serving, doesn't it? Love looks like something otherly. And chances are it's going to cost me a bit. It's the nature of love. So serving, to, to capture that in a phrase, it's got to, it's got to play its part, hasn't it, somewhere? And again, I'm not sure that requires a great deal of, of unpacking. Um, and just by way of mild entertainment, we'll see how it, how it might look differently. Uh, and this won't apply to anybody here. But if, if we don't have this concept that loving each other looks a bit like serving each other rather than everybody else serving me. Yeah, it kind of captures the flavor of senior leadership uh, team conversations recently. You know, we've just been working on some of those thoughts. Um, Humor is helpful, uh, and we laugh. And actually, under, but all, all good humor is based on the truth, right? That's why this stuff actually works a bit, because we just need to just reflect a little. Uh, to put it bluntly, customer or contributor would be a way of saying it, wouldn't it? And, and healthy families—we know this, friends. Healthy families work well when people play their part. That part will look unique. It'll look different. It'll vary from time to time according to, to needs and state of heart and emotion. All of that, but. There's something beautifully healthy about serving in that sort of a way. And sometimes it will look formal and sometimes it will uh, not need to look formal. But everybody playing their, their part, everybody contributing. When you, the word that um, came to your mind first when I said church, think church, what comes to your mind? I wonder if there was a filter on that. Was that more about what I get from church or what I give to church? Just be interesting to reflect on. On that again, not to, to beat us up, but that, that whole way in which we're uh, seeking to serve and to bless as an expression of uh, love. And of course, there is a great receiving that happens, but the thing is, Jesus nails it. You're more blessed when you give than when you uh, receive. He says it, you'll be more blessed when you give than when you receive. So actually, Spiritually, if not logically, there's self-interest in serving because there's blessing that lies that way. Do it because we love Jesus, though, and we want to 
to grow in him, not out of guilt, not out of duty, and, and so on. So again, in brackets, in the context of this local church, um, if, you're, if you want to get involved in a particular way and you're not at the moment, there's an, always an encouragement to do that, not because a pastor says so, but because Jesus invites us into that healthy participation. A whole bunch of ways you can do that. Talk to the guys at the, at the back. There's uh, any number of different things. Some people say, well, nobody's asked me. I'm asking you now. <laughs> you can't use that excuse again. <laughs> Uh, somebody said, I don't, I don't know quite where, what the opportunities are, where I could uh, get stuck in. Well, again, just ask. Does it, I don't know what my gifts are. I'm not quite sure what I'm good at. Um, I'd, l- I'd love to, to, to encourage us in that one. Um, if you've been a follower of Jesus for anything more than um, a short period of time, I want to say, do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are, let alone the things that are your natural aptitudes? You might be great with kids, and you know that. And there's opportunity to get stuck in with kids. You might be um, really good at music or whatever, or great on the tech or, or whatever. There's, there's obvious arenas in which you can give those gifts. Spiritual gifts, what are those in, in the life of your group, if you're part of a group? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? really want to encourage that. If God has given us some stuff, power tools for extending his kingdom to his agents on earth, that's you, that's me, that's the church, and we're ignoring his gifts because we don't know what they are, friends, we need to get stuck in and and get somebody to help us. What are my gifts and how do I then put that at the disposal of the church because they're all for that. So a whole bunch of things around that. Encouraging one another, last two really quickly. Encourage one another. It's one of my favorite one another's. Encouragement is oxygen for the soul. Hills and I have done loads of parenting courses over the years, and if we could just put one, one single tool into the hands of parents of, who, who are aiming to bring up youngsters, it will be encouragement. It is, it is extraordinary, the power of encouragement. Have you ever thought, those of us who love sports, why is it that the home record of a football team is so much better than the away record in the game of football? The pitch is the same size, the ball is the same shape, there's the same number of players on the pitch... Um, the rules are the same, the ref's the same, everything's the same. Except if you play at home, your record is dramatically better than your record away. What is the one thing that is different? It's the power of encouragement. The power of encouragement at home. Hebrews 10, let's consider how we may spur one another, da 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 da, da but encouraging one another. Well, we're the home team, we're the team. Yeah, we need encouragement, but we're also the team that encourages others. And we need so much. Life is so, so tough. You don't need me to tell you that. Our culture is a tough one. Tough to stand courageously. Encourage is to literally do that, by the way, isn't it? It's to put courage into somebody. I found that helpful when it was kind of pointed out to me many years ago. Some of us have the gift of encouragement. Specific gifts, you're a Barnabas, that's fantastic. But all of us can encourage. And to encourage, remind, it's different from just affirming. It's certainly different from flattery. Flattery is lying, isn't it, basically? David is, you're just amazing all the time. You just, you look incredible. I love the beard. The way that you cut your hair, it's just, or you are just the most, extra, that's flattery and it's lying. <laughs> affirming goes... Actually, David, you're really good at what you do. We love you. We think you're great at leading up here. We think your humor's a bit dodgy, but you're really, you're really, really good at it, and thank you for doing it. That's affirming. Encouraging is to say, David, I know you're having a pretty tough time at the moment. There's a whole bunch of things that you're juggling. There's lots of challenge going on, on behind the scenes. It's really stretching. It's not actually e- easy to juggle a variety of things and visibility in the life of the church. You've got some big decisions coming, but God's got it. 
and he's promised that he'll give you the grace that you need to take the next step so you can trust in him. That is encouragement, right? It has a different effect. That's the hand in the small of the back that pushes me forward. All of those things, well, the lying's not good. The affirmation is great. We all love affirmation. I'm going to argue that encouragement is more powerful. So, friends, let's, let's develop both. Let's do loads of both. You can't overdo either, really. Last one, forgive one another. I'm not going to say much about this. Time's up. Uh, bear with one another. This crops up as much as any of the one another's. Jesus taught so, so much about forgiveness, you know, um, in, the, in the scriptures. And I'm going to say I think that we forgive too quickly. As in, good Christian people forgive each other, right? I get hurt, I forgive. I forgive you. And if we're going to forgive from the heart in a way which truly releases that other person to God and frees us from the possibility of bitterness taking root and that being a thing which is going to damage us much more than the other person, friends, we need to take our time with forgiveness and we need to do it from the heart in a real way. I'm not going to say too much more about that, but the forgiving needs to happen here. Again, as a pastor of many years, the thing that makes me the most sad is not actually that we hurt each other, because we do. Remember the iron sharpening iron thing? If we're close enough, if we're going to go down this route, all in with each other, we're going to hurt each other a bit. We're going to disappoint each other a bit. I disappoint you. Andrew disappoint. We disappoint each other. We're, just, we're human. That's not actually the issue. We don't do it on purpose, don't want to, but we do. The issue is when we then don't deal with that. The issue is when... We go, oh, I'm offended, oh, I don't like Trinity. Somebody, I thought it was that friendly place and it's not because somebody ignored me or I didn't get the welcome I wanted or whatever. Or that friend has hurt me or whatever it is. And what happens? The wildebeest syndrome. I can't, I can't, I, I don't want to be around them anymore so I'm going to walk off. It is, honestly, it is the thing that makes me the most sad as a, somebody involved in leading churches. Friends, we need to sort our stuff and we need to sort it in the family. It takes courage Take some skill, probably take some help. Where's the help? How does God help us? Almost always, how does God's help arrive at us? When we pray, God help me, how does that help arrive? Almost always, through a family member. Might even be through a family member that we don't like very much. God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> it matters so, so much. The forgive one another, don't get stuck. We get stuck if we don't bear with one another and our weaknesses. Church at its best. Super exciting, super amazing. We've got to love that Jesus loves the church. We need to love the church. That means loving each other well, advancing the kingdom. We've all got a role to play in that. Impossible, of course, without the king of that kingdom being at the very center of all that we do. We gather around him together. And as we gather around him, so he strengthens the bonds between us and we get to be all in for him and for each other and with the world. So let's stand. Let's stand and invite the king to continue his activity in our hearts, in our minds, in our mindsets, in any changes that we feel that he's nudging us towards. Some of that will be very practical. Sometimes we can be so heavenly minded we're no earthly use. We can think really well about these things, but it might just be going to say sorry to somebody or it might just be actually I'll sign up to do the coffee or whatever.
Let's just pause for a bit. be remembering as we're musing with God that the Father loves us. Anything that we hear will be coming from a heart of love, a heart that, know, that knows what's best for us individually, as well as loving his church that is his bride perfectly. That is the agent for the transformation of the whole world that is in a desperate state. So Father, we need to grab a hold. We are saying in this place tonight, we want to grab a hold of everything that you've got for us. We say that as a body. We say that as Trinity Cheltenham, September 2019, evening congregation. We say, please would you give to us collectively what we need. Thank you for our togetherness. Thank you that we're individual but united in this place. We want to embrace what you're saying to us, not just what you're saying to the one. So help us to hear well, Lord. And give us grace to embrace whatever it is. Father, thank you so much that your discipline of us, your encouragement of us never comes as a tick list. It never comes as duty. It never comes as obligation. It never comes as religious behavior. We really thank you for that, Lord. We really thank you. So we say, Holy Spirit, would you have your way deep in our hearts? Would you have your way deep in our hearts and our minds? The way that we think, the way that we respond, the way that we feel, God, have your way. Form us, transform us. And Father, we're thanking you this evening for this extraordinary and compelling vision arising from the most simple of concepts, being with you and being with each other. We thank you that you are available to be gathered around. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are a present God, not an absent one. And we love that we can gather around your presence. We love that we can do that in various ways, on our own and together. Would you fill us again, Lord, with an extraordinary hunger for more of your loving presence, a greater appetite for you. And as we go after you, Lord, would you draw us together in that rich and deep and beautiful thing called fellowship and one anotherness. Would you do that, Lord? I just want to encourage you, uh, just, just take a moment. You might want to say to God if you're up for that, you might just want to pray. I think God would love us just to pray for the courage to pay some of the cost of that. We don't want to be naive. It's challenging. It's hard. We know that. But God gives us grace and resources to love each other, to do the iron sharpening iron, to do the stepping into mess, to relate to somebody who's not like us, to form a depth of community with someone who's different 
the groups and the, the teams and the, the getting togethers in our various ways. Father, we love that we read that they were devoted to that. They were devoted to you, to prayer, to worship, to gathering around your teaching and to each other. Do you give us courage to take a, a next step in that direction?